This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. My name is Tanya and I'm an alcoholic. The purpose of this show is to increase public awareness of Alcoholics Anonymous as an effective means of recovery from the disease of alcoholism. Our show falls into two parts. First, we're going to talk a bit about alcoholism, what it is and what AA can do to help. Then we'll interview a recovering alcoholic who is an active member of AA. I'm now going to ask our guest to read the AA preamble, which is read at the start of every AA meeting. Hi, my name is John. I'm an alcoholic and a compulsive gambler. AA preamble. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of people who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We're self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not a lobby of any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution. Does not wish to engage in any controversy. Neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. So what is alcoholism? Alcoholism is a disease, not a disgrace. There is no shame in having an illness or a disease. An unusual feature of this disease is that it will do anything it can to convince you that you do not have it. However, once it has hold of you, the progression of symptoms is like a classic disease model and the victim is a helpless as a sufferer of cancer. If you're an alcoholic, you're at the beginning of a long road that usually ends in one of three places prisons, institutions or death. If you think that sounds dramatic, we can assure you that our collective experience has shown this to be true. The challenge is to convince the alcoholic to admit that they need help and become willing to seek it. Denial is the major symptom of alcoholism. The alcoholic is often the last one to recognise it and admit they have it. Our definition of alcoholism is that it is an allergy of the body, coupled with an obsession of the mind. The allergy is the physical aspect of the disease, After having the first drink, the phenomenon of craving develops and we lose control over when we will stop. The old saying is, one too many and a thousand is never enough. And yet, because of the obsession of the mind and the mental aspect of the disease, the alcoholic is compelled to keep picking up the first drink. This makes us powerless. We often hear from sober alcoholics that many doubted whether life could be fun without alcohol. Fortunately, the same people report that their lives have improved dramatically since they became sober. The 12-step program of recovery, which is discussed at meetings and which is outlined in the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, is how we get sober and maintain our sobriety one day at a time. This program has a proven track record of helping otherwise hopeless alcoholics to achieve long-term sobriety and recovery. It has taught us how to enjoy life sober. Okay, for anyone who's joined us, you're listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. We're just about to interview an AA member who's going to share their experience with alcoholism. So let's meet our guest. Would you like to introduce yourself and tell me a little bit about who you are and, and how you got here? My name is John. I'm an alcoholic and a compulsive gambler. Um, I woke up one morning in Hagley Park and life was wonderful <laughs> and the sun was shining and so on. So I thought, well, come to AA. No, I didn't, but um, that wasn't the way it was meant, to, but just the way it was. And, so I um, arrived here. Do you have, uh, what do you do for a job and 
I'm retired now. You're retired. Excellent <coughs> work. And yeah. what, what about your family? Do you have a family? I have um, two brothers, two sisters, eight nieces and nephews, 15 great nieces and nephews, Ooh. and lots of friends. It's <laughs> a big family. Yeah. So can you tell me how long you've been sober for? Since the 19th, I'm um, sorry, 14th of December 1992. So I just celebrated 31 years two days ago. Whoop, whoop. Yeah. And, Amazing. Um, that's an amazing achievement. And can you tell me a little bit about your childhood, just so we get a bit of a picture um, of you? No different to a lot of others. I played sport, um, went to the races a lot, um, yeah, you know, and um, I'd have a, have a beer from, or, a, or a shandy from someone at Christmas or a birthday party or someone, my brothers and sisters' weddings and that sort of stuff because they were a bit older than me. I'm the youngest in the family. And, um, you know, um, my brothers and that mum and dad played cards. Someone would be caught bottles in those days at half G's and someone needed a court bottle or half G, I'd go and get one and then we'd be dregs in the bottom and I used to drink that. Um, so what I age ne- was that that you started? Oh, 12, 12, 13. Yeah. But I never started drinking until I left school at 15 and then started my apprenticeship at 16 and then the world was open slather. So was it social to start with, or yeah, very much, yeah, very yeah. social. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't get into problems till I was in my late teens, early, th- uh, well, sorry, late twenties, right. early thirties. So you had a bit of time before it. Oh yeah, kicked yeah. Off. It not wasn't always mayhem or craziness, a lot of craziness, but it was, it wasn't unmanageable until later on in life. So when you were drinking while it was fun, what was it like for you? What did it do for you? That's a good question because a lot of people saw what it did to me, but they didn't know what it did for me. So ever since I was a child, I always felt inferior, always felt I was a um, square peg in a round hole or a round peg in a square hole. Um, I thought I was an illegitimate son of my aunt, my mother's spinster sister and all that sort of stuff. I didn't fit in, I didn't belong anywhere. And then when I found alcohol, wow, it was just, I could talk to Ladies and tell jokes, and I was the soul of the party sometimes. But um, yeah, craziness, craziness. And but as I said, people saw what it did to me, but they didn't know what it did for me. If it was a bit like another older member says, it's like no more gaps; it fills up all those cracks, it fills up everything. <laughs> and so, how did how did you drink? What was your drinking like? Like, how uh, did it progress? Some people say they drink like a fish, but fish don't actually drink. <laughs> um, I, I, I just I drank anything and everything really. Yeah. Yeah. Then I had bad moments on things like whiskey and bourbon, and when you get a twenty first, this happened. It's, it's an open slather, and the, in the end, I crawled home from a neighbour's twenty first, lost my glasses, didn't find them, so on and so forth. You know, holes in pants and that sort of stuff. On my crawled home on my hands and knees, six houses or ten houses or something from the neighbours. Yeah, it was, you know, just that top shelf stuff was real bad. I'd just drunk. I'd have one. I'd buy came from work, go down to the working men's pub or the pub or something and have a, have a jug and it was okay. And then two days later I'd do the same thing. It's, it's 10 o'clock. I'm still there. So no, no, no rhyme or reason when it would, I'd continue to stay. Then I'd go to a nightclub or a pub in town and crazy. So would you say your drinking was more binge drinking or 
or was oh, it yeah, just yeah. more more binge drinking than um, than a regular top up every day sort of drinker? Yep. I was definitely a binge drinker, and sometimes I'd be walking out of a inner city hotel when staff members from work were pulling up on their cars at quarter six to go to work, <laughs> and I'd just go back into the bar and drink, waste of time going back to going to work. Did you ever feel it was a problem in those those days? Yeah, I thought I think I did, but I never really spoke to anyone about it. It was just that um, that's what people, other people did, other people you work with. But they they turned up and they didn't drink till four or five o'clock in the morning, whereas they'd stop at one and have a few hours sleep before they went to work and that sort of stuff. So I didn't. I just kept on going, and it did cause problems at work. And did you ever try to stop? Were there times that you oh, just... Yeah, there was, there was times where I tried to stop. There's different, you know, I don't drink with days, put a little tea in it and that didn't work. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, there was moments that I tried, but once once I started, people would see me when I walked into wherever I was going and I was dressed and I was dressed to go out. That was it. Don't know what time I was going to get home. I have no idea. And what made you realise that you needed some help with your drinking? Well, <clears throat> I I played winter sport, summer sport, knew lots of people in parts of Christchurch and get on a party somewhere. And I knew someone, so I'd knock on the door at three, three o'clock in the morning. I'd come in, welcome, 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 sleep on the couch, sleep in the spare room, whatever, and just get that drunk that I'd wet the bed, wet the couch, piddle in the cupboard, open up drawers, do that sort of thing. And then that sort of um, destroyed my morals and values. So in the end, um, not many people would have me up and knocked on the door. They'd just throw a blanket and a pillow out the window so you'd sleep out there. And then the old, in the end, the older, only ones that had me were my elderly parents and I used to do the same thing. So what did they do? Start sleeping at Hagley Park. Mm-hmm. I, I, so I, I, I used to referee rugby, so I knew what the sheds were around town and which way the wind was blowing. I'd sleep on the other side of Hagley Park so the wind wouldn't be coming in, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah. And what about your relationships? I mean, it sounds like there was an impact to your family relationships and maybe friends. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, um, it was a it destroyed my relationship with my mother. Well, not my mother, father. The only ones picked up, they picked up the pieces all the time. They, they kept on picking up all the pieces. Yep. Because of my drinking and my gambling. Gambling was quite was uh, ruthless, really. And hotels, when TABs went into hotels, it was the worst thing that probably ever happened to me. And I could go to lots of pubs in town. And, and I was always working different places, change, trying to change, um, chase the dollar. And then I found a wonderful job and earned lots of money way back in, in the 80s. But that wasn't enough either. So presented documents, checks, but pecuniary advantage to go out and it wasn't enough. That was still not enough to keep me going. <laughs> no, yeah. Crazy, crazy, crazy. And I guess how did you how did you come to a rock bottom? Um, a few things. I went went for a game of golf at Titec one day and um, eight days later I woke up in a, in a motel in Blenheim and the, ple- and the motel owner rang the place the police, and they ended up under the Mental Health Act of the Wairau Hospital for a week, came back to Christchurch, had brain scans, and then again I woke up with um, in Hagley Park and I went to Hamilton. All of those days it was Sunnyside, and they said, we know some, someone that could help you, and they introduced me to a member of this wonderful program, and that's where I am today. 
Okay, so you came into AA via someone coming to talk to you at the mental institution you were in at the yeah, start. No, it was just a person in the in the office who looked at the bottom of the report said this man may have an alcohol problem. Head neurologist said may have an alcohol problem, and he picked me up to to my first meeting. There was only three of us there. Yeah, and then three days later I went to Hornby, met some wonderful people, and I, um, I've been around. I don't think you'd go more than a week without going to a meeting. And can you remember what it felt like coming into those first meetings? Were you welcomed? Were people... Oh, unbelievable. Yeah. The, 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 um, the care, the care and the... I used to use the word love, but I don't use it so much nowadays because of the gender, um, whatever. But, um, yeah, the, the friendship and the, and the care that they gave me, and um, it was amazing. So And, and I, I sort of understood what they were saying. Uh, oh, I fit in here. Yeah. Yeah, fit in here. No one ever, well, when I was drinking, no one ever told me to not come back, but I never got invited. So when I got sober, I still, well, my friends, I still didn't invited to their, their, their sons and daughters' weddings, their sons and daughters' 21st, because I don't drink, so they just, I didn't get invited. Crazy, but never mind. And tell me a bit about your sobriety. How have, how have you managed to maintain a sobriety? I've had wonderful before. people. Um, I don't. I used to use the word old old timers, and I, and I say they're experienced citizens now because they had more experience than I do <laughs> about sobriety. Nice. So I asked them a question, and sometimes, I, and I go, okay, and I go five minutes, five seconds, five minutes, five hours, five days, five weeks, five months, five years, and I go, oh, is that what they meant? Maybe I could do that, and then that will end up with a better result. But there is a solution. I do not have to pick up the first drink. And can you describe your process of finding recovery? Finding recovery. Oh, well, oh um, well. So when I, I, um, um, I told an old guy when I was at a meeting that I didn't like God, and he you already found it, son. I said, "What's that?" He said, "Gift of desperation." So that's when I came in here. And since then, if you told me 31 years ago that I could be doing five or six readings in the morning, talking about spirituality with people, things like that, that helps me. So when I get up in the morning, I feel un- it, which is in the turmoil. I'm uncomfortable with who I am. So I do my readings, and that helps me feel a lot better. So when I read, my thoughts turn into emotions, and emotions help me get through the program, whereas before emotions, I was drunk, whether I was mad, glad, bad, or sad. So now I'm still mad, bad, and glad, and sad, but I don't have to pick up the first drink. So is that how you deal with your difficulties in life or when things come so my, my, the 12 challenges? Yep. The 12 steps, 12 traditions, and they're there. So when I go through life, get up in the morning, go out in the car, and something happens in life, I use, try to help, try to use the 12 steps and the 12 traditions to get me through. So I believe that I'm on a journey, and when you go on a journey, you've got to have a boat, plane, you've got to have a ticket, and on the back, the small print. And for me, that's the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Alcoholics Anonymous that have helped me get through the situation that I've got right now, right in front of me, regardless of what the result will be. That's, that'll get me through. And what about service? Do you do service in your uh, Yeah, your I'm, I'm committed to services. Yeah. Yeah. I'm currently um, at the group and helping out the vice chair of that. Um, service centre, service centre, go to meetings, just... Anything I can. My mobility is not the greatest. I still try to move chairs around and put. I don't put banners up anymore because I'd fall. 
But yeah, that's I try have to hand pass on to something that that was given to me freely. So what's life like for you today after coming into recovery and, and finding it for 31 years? What is it like today? Well, it's great. I wake up in the morning and um, I still have crazy thoughts, but by doing my readings, and it helps me to get that back and forth. Unfortunately, I've lost a, a few really good friends in the last, say, five or six years, one outside the programme and two inside the programme, and that's, sort of, and that's difficult to, to, um, to get another really good confidant or mentor. And um, but I get through. I asked another experienced citizen when I have a problem. So some 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 of my best friends, like what, my be- best advice that I got from a friend, female friend, was this step eleven. I only have to, I only have to um, <coughs> improve my conscious contact with with God. That was it. That was thirty something years ago when she told me that. And it helped an awful lot. And so on that one there, would that be the advice that you'd give to a newcomer coming into recovery perhaps after a tough old new year? Yeah, so the question you ask yourself, is your life unmanageable? If you think you have, think, if you, think you have an alcohol problem, you ask yourself, is your life unmanageable? And then you have a good deep soul, soul search of that. And then you can pick up, there's 62 meetings in Christchurch a week. Um, you can pick up, find out where AA is, go, and at least try and do six or seven meetings and then make your mind out whether you don't think this is for for you. And uh, if it is, welcome. Keep coming back. But if it's not, you go back out and do a bit more research, see if it's uh, whatever. So AA is described as a spiritual program, not a religious one. What's your relationship? What's your higher power like? My higher power? Mm. Um, uh, well, when the old, old, old Scottish guy told told me about the gift of desperation, and then another Englishman told me it was a group of drunks, and then another one told me it was good orderly direction. So it helps me to maintain. And the latest one for me is is um, guidance on demand. I'm trying to find a different word to the word demand because I don't want to. So when I have a problem, I well I look my eyes up to the higher to the. High, up to the sky or whatever, and I know that if what will be will be, and the slogans in AA and um, live and let live and so on and so forth and who you know and that sort of stuff. It's um, I it can change how I feel. So I wake up in the morning with it, which is the inner turmoil, and I'm doing my readings and so on. That helps me change, and I have the other it, which is the tranquility. I'm at peace with myself. Then I go out, and some clown cuts me off in their car. <laughs> it's a bit different. So I, I, I don't know. If, yeah, I might tell that story. But um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's my life is different. And uh, um, <coughs> Bill W wrote a wrote a word in his emotional sobriety pamphlet many many years ago. It's called benighted or benightedness. And it's quite Shakespearean. So when I looked it up twenty eight years ago, twenty nine, it was ignorance and arrogance, right? But some. Six, eight months ago, I met another old-timer, old experienced citizen, and I talked about it, and he said, no, it means, be knighted or be knighted, this means, a darkness or gloominess that befalls a weary traveller before they can find um, safety or, or safe harbour, which is quite Shakespearean, I believe. So I, I still have darkness and gloominess in my life, but I, I know that there is a solution and I can get through it. So the only way I can do that is with, with my spirituality and my belief that I'm going to be okay. 
and that's it. And, and um, Bill W was a bit was a wordsmith, and um, it's an amazing work being knighted. Yeah, so. Thank you for sharing your story with us. Is there anything else that perhaps any other advice that you might like to pass on? Yeah, keep coming back. And the other one is that um, I ask a question if I talk to a newcomer. If you're standing on a railway line and a carriage has a train has five carriages, what part of the train hits you? The first one. It's not the sixth carriage or the fifth carriage. It's the first train. It's the first carriage of the train that hits you. So if you don't pick up the first run, you don't get drunk. If you don't get drunk. Life will not be chaos for you. Keep coming back. Thank you so much, John. Mm. Thank you for coming um, on the show and sharing your story with us. It's been great to great mm-hmm. to see you. For our listeners, if you've related to anything that you've heard or would like some more information about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can look us up on the web. We're at www.aa.org.nz or call us on 0800 AA Works. There are over 60, and as John just said, 62 meetings in Canterbury a week, and so there's likely one near you. Join us next week to hear more from AA members sharing their experiences. Our show is every Monday at 5.30 on Plains FM and repeats on Wednesday at 12.30pm. You can also find podcasts of our past shows on the Plains FM website at plainsfm.org.nz or you can download, subscribe and listen to podcasts on iTunes and Spotify. That brings us to the end of our show. Thank you for listening and remember, if you want to drink, that's your business, but if you want to stop, we can help. You don't have to do it alone. We will now close with the serenity prayer as we do in every AA meeting. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. You've been listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show on Plains FM 96.9.